monkeypox? Seriously? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. Let's dive off of this headline, shall we? The mystery of monkeypox's global spread. It's a wired article, and having been forewarned as to what's behind the mystery of monkeypox's global spread, I thought this would be a doozy. And actually, it was just a rehash of a lot of other articles that have appeared over the past week, and that's important, over the past week, where they talk about how out of nowhere, there's monkeypox everywhere. It's just crazy. President Biden has addressed it more than once, and uh, it's on every mainstream outlet. Maybe this seems normal to you, but as of yesterday, it's I read that the World Health Organization had recorded 90 or so cases of monkeypox in a dozen countries. And they are Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, Israel. It's funny because it's like the five eyes. I think Spain and Portugal also, France, Switzerland, all the usual suspects, I would say. But it doesn't seem like a big number to me. It just doesn't seem like a big number to me. So either it's that's just a tremendous number of uh, an illness that really doesn't get around outside of Africa, or they know that this thing is going to explode into something big. I actually think there's a lot going on here. And I think that because... (laughs) Hat tip to Sir Tim. He sent me a few days ago, actually, a document from a 2021, about a year ago, what's called a tabletop exercise. That's becoming all too common in our lexicon, even though I never even knew what one was before Event 201. But Event 201 was when a bunch of entities, including the CDC of the US and China, Johns Hopkins, Bill and Melinda Gates, and Johnson & Johnson, a lot of people got together and said, what would happen if we had an 18-month pandemic of a novel coronavirus outbreak? And that was in October 2019. So it was just in time. It did roll out, and so much in there came to fruition. And a big clue as to what they were after was in the it's a standalone document on the Johns Hopkins website, the calls to action. There were seven things they wanted to make sure we did, like have stockpiles of vaccines, have an easy access to the medical supplies, worrying about transportation continuity, funding to smaller countries. There was just a lot of stuff in there that did come to pass. For a while, I was tracking it. You can probably go to my Twitter account and say hashtag straight out of event 201 and find a lot of those headlines. I stopped tracking it because everything was covered more than once already, probably. But here's a document not quite as comprehensive as that, But it has a timeline that looks like it's unfolding as we speak, and it has five recommendations. So I think that provides a really great clue as to the agenda. So let's get to that document. But first, let me just give you a little rehash of what's going on in the news right now. So they're saying that there's this many cases, maybe 100, less than 100. Many people here, the World Health Organization and other health officials are saying this is nothing to completely panic about. This isn't like COVID. You don't just sneeze it in each other's faces. And it's probably not going to get too crazy. Now, Belgium, this is going to come important later. Belgium is kind of raising the alarm. They want to get people vaccinated. So there is one country that's kind of jumping the gun here. But mostly we're, we're being told to remain calm. We don't know. Let's see how it unfolds. There are some details about this that may have other agenda items attached to it. It is 
men who have sex with other men seem to be spreading this. And I thought that was interesting because I guess there are so many genders and preferences and whatever that they don't want to categorize men who have sex with other men as gay because they might be something else. So I thought that was kind of, uh, you know, noteworthy. This is the first time that we're transitioning to that label. They are saying it's not a whole of population risk because you have to like touch each other. And it, it bears some earmarks of AIDS, the whole monkey connection of the idea that you have to actually be touching each other, that the entire population is not at risk. But they did put a few little Easter eggs in there that we can see the the threads that may be pulled upon later. So they did a travel advisory came out of the World Health Organization where they said that the incubation period for monkeypox is somewhere between 5 and 21 days. This one's a little different because normally you can see that if somebody has monkeypox because the first lesions appear on the hands. But in this case, it's the genitals and anus, as <laughs> we used to say on the radio, um, to avoid tripping the sensors. It says that it's not easily transmissible, although this is the, the World Health Organization. Here's the thread that will pull, be pulled on later. A lesion in the mouth could lead someone to spew viral particles when talking or coughing, but it's not a respiratory virus. So that'll give them some excuse or people who want to go over with some excuse for masking. And it basically came out of Nigeria. It's all coming out of Nigeria, but nobody caught it on a plane. You had to have caught it from actually touching somebody. That's what the World Health Organization is saying. Another little... Easter egg, I think, is that Biden says they're seeing if there's a vaccine that will work. So those are some threads that we're going to pull on and let's get to the exercise and maybe we'll see where those things come in handy. So the name of the tabletop exercise is Strengthening Global Systems to Prevent and Respond to High Consequence Biological Threats. Results from the 2021 tabletop exercise conducted in partnership with the Munich Security Conference. This was conducted in March 2021, and it was released in November 2021. And I did a little thing where I did a Google search from May 15th, 2022 and prior. And prior to that, there was only like three cases of monkeypox reported and all of everything I could find. And I think one of those cases or two of them were in November of 2021, like right after this thing was released, which I thought was kind of funny. So the people involved in this is also kind of interesting. The people who did it, it was the Nuclear Threat Initiative. That's the name of the operation that did the scenario, that ran it, that wrote the report. It was paid for by Open Philanthropy, and it was done in conjunction with the Munich Security Conference. Now, all of these things, except for open philanthropy, are plugged into defense big time. So the Nuclear Threat Initiative, you can tell by its name and the same thing with Munich Security Conference, but the Nuclear Threat Initiative was co-founded by Sam Nunn, who was a senator. Ted Turner is in it, uh, Jerry Brown, John Huntsman, a bunch of people I have not heard of. But when I saw Sam Nunn's name, it reminded me of something I kind of discovered or realized with Betsy DeVos and her brother, Eric Prince. They all seem to want to create a market in government products that they can get the contract for and then build up demand by having the government subsidize the consumption of it. It's. I think that pattern is going to play out in this scenario, and I see it often. Open philanthropy is Dustin Moskovitz, who was one of the four founders of Facebook, and he is the who's bankrolling this, or so they say. 
But there's a lot of, like the Munich Security Conference, it was established over 50 years ago. Kissinger, Henry Kissinger was at the first meeting. So there's a lot of deep state stuff going in here. And I will, I'll tell you like particular names that I thought were interesting sitting at this table and the honorable mentions of other organizations that seem to be involved in this. Kevin O'Prey is one of the guys who actually wrote it. He was at the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. He was in MIT. He's done a lot of stuff for the defense industry. And he's actually an expert in Russia and the Russian borderlands. I have stuff from him going back to the 90s where he talks about how NATO should deal with Russia. It's kind of interesting. So George Gao is sitting at this table. He was also at Eventua One. He's the head of the Chinese CDC. Mike Ryan is an emergency guy at the World Health Organization, also is at Event 201. There's a guy, Arno Bernert, I think, uh, SICPA, S-I-C-P-A. It's a company that makes ink for tracing, for like surveillance. It's IDs, identification, authentication, tracking. So all this surveillance technology that you saw Bill Gates pushing at the beginning of the COVID thing and probably is still... Seems like these guys make that stuff. Johnson and Johnson was here, also at Event 201. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Chris Elias was there, also Event 201. The Wellcome Trust, which seems to be a philanthropic foundation uh, that derived from a pharmaceutical company. Margaret Homburg, a former commissioner of the FDA. So you can see the revolving door there. And uh, Petra Wickland from Merck, who is a pharmaceutical company. The honorable mentions include InQtel which is a CIA venture capital organization, really CIA. Johns Hopkins, of course, also at Event 201. USAID, which is, I think, well-known as a CIA front operation. The State Department had its fingers in this. Stanford University and the Future of Humanity Institute, which I believe is all about AI at Oxford University. So that's who's behind this. And what it is is, so about a year ago, they sat down, they hashed out a timeline, and they talked about If this stuff happened, what should we do to be prepared? So here's the scenario, and then I'll tell you what what they recommend. The scenario is May 15th, 2022. May 15th, 2022, it's this silent attack. It starts emerging. And literally, if you do that Google search and do before May 15th, you find like nothing. And then since May 15th, which was not, it was like one week ago, your search will be awash in alarming, splashy headlines of monkeypox everywhere. I mean, Biden's addressed it. It's out there. June 5th, 2022, the first big outbreak, a bunch of people, people die. It's clustered. And they say it's been brewing for weeks, which is exactly what I saw in some of the articles about this monkeypox thing. It's like, oh, we wouldn't be seeing it pop up everywhere if it hadn't already been brewing. January 2023, the scenario says, they will discover that it is vaccine resistant. And I feel like Biden's comment today or yesterday saying, we're going to see if there's a vaccine that works for this. Maybe they're going to find that it's going to get out of hand because they don't have a vaccine. They're talking about it, though. There were several companies, another hat tip to Tim, who came out with FDA approval for smallpox stuff, which smallpox has been eradicated so it's really just a dual use with monkeypox from like may 14th like something crazy like that like before there was any signal of this at all there are two articles about the cure for monkeypox or vaccine for monkeypox it's like the timing is so obvious it's almost 
like they're toying with us. They also say that it's going to create supply chain challenges. And I think they're mainly talking about the medical stuff, but I think they might also say that it has implications further than that, like COVID did. Uh, May 10th, 2023, so a year after it starts, they find out that what happened was a terrorist group infiltrated a civilian bio lab and modified this and released it. So they see that it's a terrorist attack because of a lack of security at a private bio lab. And then December 1st, 2023, they start to see that that's 18 months in or whatever, that countries that took a proactive approach had much better outcomes than countries that took a wait and see approach. Now, we've seen that in some of the tabletop stuff about a pandemic from long ago. I think it was in the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation stuff. Okay, so let's get to the recommendations. What are the agendas being served by this? First agenda, they say there are five recommendations. So the WHO, the World Health Organization, should establish a graded, transparent, international public health alert system. So it's graded and it's international, transparent, they say, but I'm not buying that. So it's just they can sound an alarm, probably red, yellow, whatever. Then the UN, they want to do also to have a system that establishes a mechanism for investigating these high consequence biological events of unknown origin, which they refer to as a joint assessment mechanism. So and and the way they described it in the document, it was like the joint assessment mechanism lives somewhere between the World Health Organization and the UN. But they want the right to investigate things right away and sound an alarm at the slightest provocation that at the international level. Then the second recommendation is at the national level, nation states must adopt or national governments must adopt a, quote, no regrets approach to pandemic response. They want they want them to take anticipatory action as opposed to reacting to mounting case counts and fatalities, which are lagging indicators. They're also really the only indicator. They're the only indicator. This is what they call the precautionary principle. They use it in climate change. They use it in war. It defies all the fundamental laws of liberty and good government because it's like a non-aggression principle violation. If you don't see something actually coming at you, if you can't validate or verify that this is happening, then it's up to the judgment of these people in authority who you are trusting not only to have good judgment, but to use it in good faith. We've talked about this before. So by what they're doing is saying, look, we're going to sound the alarm. We're going to go nuts. You're not even going to know what hit you because you're not going to know anybody who's sick or dying. But trust us, we're going to need to lock you down, socially distance you, mask you, ramp up production of all this stuff, get people vaccinated, surveil, all of this. And you're not going to be able to validate or verify if they had good reasons to do this. And you can see with COVID, they never told you the cost-benefit analysis of their policies. They're just like, oh, we live and learn. But they could have approached it better, and they didn't. Why? Because they're not acting in good faith. They're not exercising good judgment, in my opinion, because they're not acting in good faith. And that's what they want. What they want is this opaque process that can be corrupted so that they can use it for other purposes. Because they're just making this stuff up about the monkeypox. I think they know what policies they want before. That's what, how, the nature of these things. They have a set of policies and they're trying to figure out how to justify it. That's what the scenario is. It's not they have monkeypox and they're trying to figure out what to do about it. They also want to facilitate this anticipatory action on a no regrets basis, they keep saying, by developing national level plans that define and incorporate triggers 
for responding. So when it said triggers, I thought, oh, it's going to be X number of bodies or this kind of a problem. No, they don't talk about at all what would be a valid trigger. They just say that if we decide to trigger action, we are going to risk that this is a false alarm because we'd rather be more cautious than less cautious. And we're going to do stuff like ramp up testing and production of critical supplies, social measures, uh, and most important, we want a whole of government approach that isn't bogged down. I didn't say that, but like that's what they're, it's a paraphrase, by bureaucratic delays. So they want to always have an emergency order at the ready. And for me, that that means they want to eliminate checks and balances. They want to eliminate transparency. They want to eliminate kind of cross accountability. They want to take all the process out. And I kind of like bureaucracy because it slows down the government. I like gridlock in Congress. I don't want them to be able to move quickly, especially if what they're doing is is moving without sufficient evidence. And they're admitting that. So this is a real problem. And it flies in the face of principles of prudence. The earlier stuff flew in the face of the principles of liberty and law. This flies in the face of prudence. The third recommendation is that the international community should establish an entity dedicated to reducing the risk of these kind of catastrophic events due to accidents or deliberate abuse of bioscience and biotechnology. So they're worried about terrorists. They're worried about accidents because they say that people doing this and handling it are irresponsible. They also say that they expect to see a rapid expansion of high containment laboratories to get ahead of pandemic level pathogens in the wake of COVID that people were were looking for are worried about this now and that various entities, private or small states or whatever, are going to engage in more what's called dual use research. And dual use means it has a civilian and a military application. So they're going to look at these pathogens that either they're emerging organically or they're bioweapons. And the work that they do is going to be dangerous. What they suggest is in order to reduce the risk, this entity that they want to create should support interventions throughout the bioscience and biotechnology R&D research and development life cycle. So from the funding stage through the execution and on to the publication of it or the commercialization of it, they want this entity to be in there every step of the way. And that is how they control all the science and all the information. It's how they infiltrated university research to make sure that the stuff that gets done there is within the limited confines of what they want them to do. And then it gets funneled a lot of times into the corporations that are kind of pre-approved and they get the patents. And I mean, there's a lot to that. So like when Aaron Swartz story is he killed himself after getting in a lot of trouble for hacking into, I guess, MIT. And I was like, well, MIT is a private university. Like he shouldn't have been hacking in there. But if you learn more about it, it's really an arm in many ways of the defense industry, the defense department. Stanford, similar, I believe. And uh, it's arguable that we have a right to that information. I mean, this is not strictly national security stuff. And they're not really even talking about it as a bioweapon, like a defense industry thing. They're talking about it could be accidental. It could be terrorism. We just need to shut down and infiltrate or control all medical research, all biological research, private, public, academic, everything. And they mentioned by name controlling desktop DNA production, whatever that is. And it happens to be that somebody from a DNA company called Twist is sitting at this table. So it looks like they've got some little earmarks here too. So the fourth recommendation is 
national leaders, development banks, so like the IMF, philanthropic donors, and the private sector should establish and source a new financing mechanism to bolster global health security and pandemic preparedness. Okay, that's just part one of this recommendation. So they want countries and big banks or, you know, IMF, philanthropists and the private sector to fund a fund to bolster global health security. And uh, one of the lines they use is because pandemics do not respect borders, participants agreed that a failure to bolster preparedness across all countries would inevitably pose significant risks, even for the best prepared nations. So it's our problem. We have a right to tell them what to do to control it and an obligation to pay for it because it will affect our citizens. That's how they always do it. They always try to put it in terms of self-defense. So this is where I feel like they try to gin up a government project. They want to gin up the demand for it. And then they want U.S. taxpayers to pay for it. So they want to get this stuff going in other countries. But once they put it in these other countries, they added this. The design and operations of the fund should be catalytic, incentivizing national governments to invest in their own preparedness over the long term. It says somewhere else, shifting accounting away from the donor balance sheets onto national budgets. So they kind of want to get these guys pregnant, if you will. They'll take a an elected leader. They'll convince him to take this money to set up this kind of perpetual demand machine and then move it onto the national budget so that his future taxpayers that he will be long gone are kind of going to be on the hook forever. And I'm sure that Africa is a main target because this stuff is coming out of Africa. In certainly right now, it's Nigeria is the only country I saw cited. But even in the World Health Organization Travel Advisory, it's the places where it's been cited and then like nine African countries. And then the last one is that the UN Secretary General should convene a high-level panel to develop recommendations for critical measures to bolster global supply chain resilience for medical and public health supplies. And what they want to do there is they want to stockpile vaccines or medical equipment. They Stuff that they can't stockpile, they want to have factories that are warm, it says, keep them warm. So you have factories that are like the lights are on and there are people there, but there's nothing happening until like the emergency comes. I mean, that sounds like a lot of money. And then they also want to target small countries to build manufacturing capacity to somehow chip in and I feel like they're both exploiting the supply and the demand chain there by maybe taking countries that have underutilized labor and getting governments to contribute, like maybe the way they do a football stadium, to build this factory where they'll have excess production that maybe wouldn't be justified from a purely private point of view. I mean, you have to look at the people who are sitting at the table here and see how they're going to benefit one by one from these policies. And I, I mean, I could obviously go on and on about how many different ways they could. I mean, once you start flowing money and uh, concentrating control, having no transparency or accountability and uh, complete surveillance and approval of all science that's in the biosphere, which is the future, the fourth industrial revolution, according to Klaus Schwab, is biological. So it's the blurring of lines between technology and biology. And uh, by the way, Davos is in session this week, so I'll get to that on Friday. So what do I think are the biggest agendas here? 
I think that number one, what we're seeing here, all we can say right now is that the way they're blasting the news, 90 cases and it's worldwide news. Was that fast enough? Now that we have those 90 cases, are we supposed to do stuff? Are we supposed to lock people down? Are we supposed to start vaccinations? This is really, I think, a live scenario test of this tabletop exercise, which focused on preemption of early warning of jumping the gun. (laughs) And let's see how it works out. Maybe it's going to be an object lesson for us so that they can say, well, Belgium fared the best. Or maybe it's just that they just want to see how it works when they start pushing it through the system. I think they obviously are going to concentrate power, government power with this. So the power to lock us down, the power to have us, you know, Simon Says type stuff, but also the power to approve and monitor all science, control the science in this oligopoly, this corpo-governmental continuum. They want that money flowing to get the smaller countries on board. I think there's some cultural stuff going on here. The fact that It was gay men at a rave that one of the articles said was spreading this around. Maybe they want people to go into the metaverse for sex. Maybe it's more of that. I wouldn't be surprised. I noticed that just about all of these big operations that push these big government contracts are kind of global, and they have to be then addressing problems without borders like climate change, terrorism, This food supply chain, I mean, the Ukraine aid package had relief to all different countries for supply food supply chain interruptions, pandemics, of course. And then I think they they may even just bring back some COVID stuff saying we can't afford a resurgence of COVID while we're trying to fight monkeypox. So even though monkeypox doesn't require masks or social distancing, we still want to fight COVID. So bring all that stuff back. So I think that's probably, those are probably some of the agenda items. We're going to watch this unfold. There's no way that it's over. They are rolling something out here. And I think that document gives us a little bit of a blueprint. But I would not panic. I think it's funny how so many of these stories in the news, like the Harvey Weinstein thing and herpes and like, this sounds like herpes to me in a way. I think it is like, I think it may be related to shingles, which is like chicken pox, which is a herpes virus. Maybe it's a herpes virus. Mm, I don't think so. But it sounds, it seems to have the same similar earmarks. I think some of the AIDS elements are there too. But I feel like don't panic, (laughs) you know, (laughs) make sure you engage in prudent behavior Make sure you stay aware of the foundational laws of this country and the fundamental principles of liberty so they can't scare you. Not that anybody listening to this is going to be scared, but your family members into panicking and giving away all that stuff. So looks to me like they're creating a problem, another panic, and they want to bring down these increasing totalitarian processes, mechanisms, that they basically laid out in those recommendations. But we're going to stay ahead of them. And I will keep you posted. I'm Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, which is the Deep Dives with Monica Perez, I had been doing them every day, but I'm going to probably cut down to twice a week. So maybe Wednesday and Friday and an interview or a conversation on Mondays. Let's see how it unfolds, but we'll try to keep the feed active. Uh, But if you did enjoy this deep dive, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez.